Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. So, here we are again. Uh, Have we listened to what was being said yesterday? Have we thought about what is being said today? Are you, like me, slightly more optimistic today than you were yesterday? Is it entirely possible, in fact, that what we're about to see is the uh, on-take of common sense from Boris Johnson? It looks to me very much as though, down in Downing Street, somebody's had a word. Because it seems to me that they're going to change and tweak the NHS app. Now, many of you will probably say to me, yeah, well, we never had the app in the first place. But as we prepare for the last month of summer, uh, just listen to this for a minute, okay? If the NHS app is being tweaked to make it ping fewer people, and if Boris Johnson sticks to his latest U-turn not to introduce an amber watch list of countries, could that mean that things are possibly looking up? After all, the country's been paralysed by a lack of flexibility on the travel front, and over one million people plus have been forced to self-isolate in recent weeks thanks to an incredibly inaccurate system of track and trace. That alone has made it impossible for some hospitality venues across the country to do any sort of business at all. Has someone actually woken up? We'll be asking former Tory MP, author and, of course, talk radio presenter Nick Dubois what he makes of it all, 03444991000. Coming up, we'll be asking just how bad crime has become in rural Britain. Reports are coming into us of criminal gangs on e-scooters stealing expensive GPS equipment from farms, costing the owners millions of pounds to replace. While we imagine most crime takes place in the inner cities of Britain, there's a lot more in the countryside than we know. Tell us your stories and we can share them with everybody else. Because my understanding of the policing of rural Britain is that there ain't much of it going on, to be honest. If you think you don't see many police officers in London, see even fewer of them in the home counties and the shires. 03444499. We'll also be checking in with our expert on Belarus after the news that an anti-government activist who was reported missing has now been found dead in Ukraine. That's on top of the news that a Belarusian Olympic athlete has had to seek refuge in an embassy in Tokyo to avoid being forced onto a plane home. What I find interesting about this story is that there's no lefty activist going out and demonstrating outside the Belarusian embassy. There's nobody saying how awful this all is. There's nobody saying why is it possible uh, for a state to murder its own um, citizens just because they disagree with government policy. 
0344 Plus, you'll be joined by Ellie Phillips, who's still campaigning on behalf of the forgotten freelancers who have still received no support from the government during the lockdowns. And Sean Tipton's here with the latest of the travel business and a possible end to those expensive testing uh, regimes when you have to go on holiday. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What are you doing? What are you seeing? What are you being told? This morning, I saw two masked police officers standing watching people rather menacingly at the top of the escalators in the underground. What are they doing there exactly? Are they just standing there trying to intimidate people? What's going on? 0344 499 1000. Kevin O'Sullivan's here as well, talking Olympics and much else besides. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet, now also available on television. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Lots of uh, different headlines this morning. Pings can only get better on the front page of the Daily uh, Mail, which is not bad at all. The Times uh, is going with Rishi Sunak's advice to tell telling young people to get back to the office if you want to get on. He says uh, working from home could harm your career. Well, we've been saying this for a very long time indeed. Let's check in with Nick Dubois, talk radio presenter on Saturdays and Sundays, of course. He's uh, down in Spain at the moment. Nick, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning to you, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. How is sunny Spain this time of the year? Well, it, it is very sunny. Uh, they are um, thriving in a way down here because they are desperate to have the uh, visitor economy open up. It, it is open. There are constraints in place. Uh, and in fact, I'll be talking to some local um, local politicians down here about their assessment of risk and uh, economic reward uh, on the show during the weekend. Yes, because, of course, at the moment, we're hoping uh, perhaps for uh, some good news on Thursday when we get the latest from the travel department, the Department of Transport grant shops, as to whether or not Spain actually gets put on a more difficult footing in an amber plus or whether it gets left where it is. Mike, I'm quite astonished at the headlines in some of the newspapers that you've been talking about today because Boris Johnson has kind of pulled off the master act of actually looking like um, the government are in control of things and they are now rewarding us with reducing the uh, pandemic right. by narrowing the number of days uh, you can be uh, pinged for. It's going to reduce it from five to, do, to two. What does that mean? It means at the moment, if you're in contact with someone from five days ago, you're, you could get pinged. They're now saying it will be within two days of a positive mm. test. That's good news. I don't get that. Um, I only asked the question, why on earth wasn't this done two, three weeks ago when first people were flagging up what a nightmare this was being? And we start hearing the positive news about holidays. And you're right, Mike. Um, it's encouraging that uh, there, there's no longer going to be the amber watch list. And just for those who are mightily confused, and frankly, that's most of us, yeah. I think, the amber watch list was, look, you can go to that country, but just be warned, we might plunge you into red and cost you 1750 quid mm. or a scramble to pay for tickets to come back. This has, this has been quite extraordinary because today's headlines are vaunting the good news and giving Boris Johnson the credit. I hope that's absolutely right, but this is entirely a mess of the government's mm. own making and the shenanigans that have been going on, the infighting, which have been sort of laid bare this morning between Grant Shapps and other members of the cabinet. 
Well, I'm glad it's resolved, but it's hardly been a good week no. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? And I mean, all of the troubles that the economy has suffered from and the kind of the stop start me- uh, sort of me- measures that have been going on have all been as a result of government policy, a bit like the NHS. I mean, the only reason the NHS is now supposedly overwhelmed with with cases of people who haven't been able to get any treatment is because they didn't treat them. You know, the only reason that they haven't got enough staff is because they've got pinged people who have been sent home uh, by the dozens and the, probably by the thousands. And the only reason why they haven't got enough beds in some parts of the hospitals is because they've spaced them out as a result of government policy. So, I mean, all of these things could be fixed. You're quite right, Nick, and should have been fixed a long time ago. Well, I I think the most obvious example for people at the moment is the chaos we saw at Heathrow Airport that was reported because we've been pinging away lots of uh, uh, issues to go under house arrest in your own house. And I, okay, I'm using colourful language there, but that's how it does feel like. And of course, that includes uh, staff Uh, who are meant to be manning our borders and checking people who are coming back. Look, the simplest way out for this now, for the government, is to, if you like, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, Mm. is frankly to just have a red list now. Um, The whole point of these these, um, red, green, amber lists is to protect public health. And I think that the reality is, if you look closely at what green, green watch list is, amber, amber watch list, which we now hear is gone, and red, essentially they are moving feasts that mean you have to watch the data almost on a regular basis to have an idea of where you might end up, and Mm. that's still guesswork. Frankly, we are at the stage where something like 87% of us have now got antibodies through the vaccination or through the condition that's going out there. We've got a process of checking people for positive tests when they come in. Let's just now introduce a red list that says you can't go to those countries. And if you do, actually, you're going to be whacked up in a hotel for 1,750 quid in 10 days. Mm. And let everyone go to the, the, the rest of those countries. With the proviso, you have to take a test. It's simple, it's easy, it's logical. In Spain, for example, um, whilst they got off to a terrible start across the EU, they're now as a, a significant proportion of the adult population have had two doses. Their numbers are coming down. People will just find it easier to understand. The government can still get a victory in, frankly, in, as I say, from what has been um, pretty much the, the jaws of defeat after what is a shambolic week of um, misunderstandings on policy. Mm, exactly right. And I mean, it doesn't seem too much to ask, really, does it, for Europe to get its act together uh, and for most of the countries to actually have similar policies, which they don't appear to have? Well... Of course, what you're asking for is European cooperation and our history of European cooperation. <laughs> yeah, but not just with is, us, I'm I mean afraid, with each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, totally. And 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 and, and wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great to see? So uh, it it's the, the the fact of the matter is, I think it's probably worth saying, and it annoys me to say this, but actually within the EU, who, if you like, started so badly with the vaccine program they are enjoying more freedoms and more cohesion uh, than we have, despite having had the huge advantage of being well ahead of the game on the vaccines. And may I add, uh, despite so many of our uh, scientific community warning otherwise, we seem to be going in a downward direction 
for um, the uh, for the for the for the uh, for the test uh, the positive tests that mm. have been recorded. So uh, again, somehow I feel we are snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Yes, I think that's true. And without wishing to give away too much about your uh, book writing project, Nick, which which you very kindly asked me to read um, earlier on uh, this month, or last month, I should say, um, you know a bit about what goes on inside the workings of Downing Street. What's it going to be like there at the moment? Because, you know, we've, we've had so many different phases of, of, you know, battle, if you want to call it that, you know, surrender, you know, fear, uh, loathing, you know, kicking people out, bringing new people in. What stage is it at now? If you were inside of Downing Street, what would it be like? Uh, I wouldn't like to be a special advisor inside Downing Street now, because quite frankly, there's no, there's, there seems to be no cohesion that we're back to briefing of ministers against ministers. You've seen the, 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 the suggestions today uh, that um, Grant Shapps is on the receiving end. He's the transport secretary. He's on the receiving end of lots of bad briefings today because he's been the one who's been accused of getting us in this uh, mess over the Amber watch list. Uh, you've had leaks of correspondence between number 11 and number 10. And eventually the fingers will be pointed at the special advisors who always act on their minister's instructions. Mm. So there will be a feeling of someone wants to get a grip of this and needs to get a grip of this from number 10 uh, over the summer. However, that's a difficult thing to do. Now, the, the common feeling is government kind of grinds to a halt in the summer, MPs go on holiday. Well, that's not true. The, the ministers are often there, although not always there. But the fact of the matter is people are away. MPs are not under the whips of the, the they're not under the control of the whips whilst they're all either on holiday or at home. This, the, 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 the key here is that Boris Johnson gets a grip, which is precisely what he's been trying to do today, the way he's trying to show he's in control of these announcements, because he cannot afford to have a summer where he is seen to have chaos reigning in government with confusion. And that's, that's a picture he will not want to go into the party season of conferences with. He will be trying to get back on the domestic agenda. He will be issuing orders, barking orders out through his own advisors, to make sure that people stay on message, um, to stop the backbiting and the briefings going on and focus, believe it or not, on non-COVID issues, the levelling up mm. agenda that we've heard a lot about, crime, which you're talking about later. He is desperate to move the radar onto that. So it's going to be a pretty hot summer in Downing Street and Whitehall for the people mm. that are there, whatever the weather may be. Yes, exactly right, because there are a lot of um, stories circling at the moment, Nick, about, you know, Rishi Sunak positioning himself as a possible uh, leader in waiting, about Boris's popularity rating going down a little bit. And still the really very big elephant in the room uh, is the migrant crossings, which still the government has yet to get to grips with. And I think a lot of people are going to see that as a very important reason why they won't vote for Boris Johnson again. Well, there's, a, a, there's no doubt about it that the tension... Uh, caused by the probable surge that we're going to see of migrant crossings uh, during August is going to cause a real tension in number 10 mm. and between the Home Office. Now, I don't believe the reports that uh, Boris Johnson is going around um, sort of swearing about Pretty Patel. They are very close. They are colleagues that go way back to his days in London. He will trust her to be getting on top of it, but they will be asking themselves the same question. What else do we have to do? What levers do we 
have pull to make sure that those people on the ground who are meant to be containing this situation, both here and in France, who are busy, as far as I can tell, spending our cash on mm. probably everything else but controlling uh, uh, illegal migrants trying to come here, uh, they are going to be deeply, deeply frustrated. Make no mistake though, Mike, they are not in control of events. Events are in control of them when it comes to that particular issue. And that could be another uh, issue that derails them during the summer. Absolutely right. Stay with us, Nick, if you wouldn't mind uh, for a little second more. We're going to take a little short break. I want to talk to you about Scotland. I want to talk to you about getting back to work in an office as well. We're talking to Nick Dubois, talk radio presenter, of course, Saturday and Sunday uh, right here at the weekend's former Tory MP author as well. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Nick Dubois, uh, who's down in Spain. Lucky, uh, lucky old him, because it would be nice if I could be down in Spain, but I can't get there at the moment. Uh, because of various different reasons. However, uh, Nick, I just wanted to ask you about Nicola Sturgeon because she today uh, is, I think, going to set out what the likely lifting of restrictions is going to be like in Scotland. And already uh, people that I have know up there, Donald McLeod in particular, who's in the nightclub business, says he's hearing worrying rumours that social distancing will remain in place in Scottish because, of course, Scottish nightclubs still not open. Um, this whole business of different rules for different parts of the United Kingdom, I think, has always been a bad idea. Um, but I'm also reading this morning in the Telegraph that Nicola Sturgeon has invited Boris for talks in Edinburgh um, to talk about another bid for independence. Yeah, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon is all about politics. And uh, she, you know, to her credit, she has pulled off the remarkable feat during this whole pandemic of looking as if uh, she is performing, outperforming every other region of the nation in terms of control and response to the pandemic, where in fact the figures are the complete opposite. Now she is um, recognizing that uh, there will soon be politics as normal again. And uh, this is grandstanding, inviting Boris Johnson to come and have talks about independence. Frankly, I don't think she would even want a referendum at this precise moment, but she needs to be going through the motions. Mm. She will continue to seek every opportunity to divide uh, um, between Scotland and England and indeed the rest of uh, the Union wherever possible. Um, and we can expect more sort of vacuous um, uh, posturing but during the summer, not least, because, of course, there's very little other news generally around. Um, and I just think we're going to have to get used to this. Boris Johnson needs to be very clear. Uh, he needs to stick to his line, um, uh, which is very simply that, you know, the last referendum in 2000 and um, I forget when it was now. The, 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 2014. What exactly was a once in a lifetime uh, uh, a referendum. There is absolutely no pressure on him to respond. She has just shut up the ante and played to her own audience. I, I mean, frankly, all credit to her. She she plays politics extremely well. The trick is not to play her game or dance to her tune. No, absolutely right. And let's talk a bit about Rishi Sunak's uh, plan to get people back into work, because I think it hasn't been helpful, has it, that, you know, round about last September time, I think it was, you know, Boris Johnson and the government were urging people to get back to the office. And then suddenly it was like, you know, reverse ferret, slam on the brakes, turn back around and go back home again, because actually uh, we've got some new variants knocking about. You know, I think people have been out of offices now for so long, it's going to be quite difficult to convince them to go back. 
Well, Mike, uh, I, I, it's interesting. I was looking at some data over, uh, before last weekend's show, and it is quite shocking the impact that having, if you like, the, rea uh, the fear punished or, or ch pummeled into you through every media channel, although I have to say not ours, um, uh, over the last 18 months. There are people who frankly don't want to go back to the office based on fear. There are others who frankly have decided to have a complete change of lifestyle and not go back to the office. And, but what Rishi is pointing to is, is, is this. If you are a younger person and you are setting out on your career, if you are not in an office environment, you are going to lose out on so much, particularly the skills and experience and mentoring of your colleagues um, who have gone before you. Never mind the social life, never mind the making of new friends, never mind um, the variety it brings to your mm. life. I mean, at the end of the day, who does want to remain cooped up 24 seven uh, in their, um, their, their, their own home conditions and working? You need, we all need change and a break. We've been banging on about this a long time. There's a, 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 a huge mountain to climb to persuade people to go back to the office. And you know, when you talk about earlier, as you did about nightclubs, Mike, do you know that in a poll published just before um, uh, July the 19th, two out of 10 people, okay, it's not a lot, but wait until I tell you what they wanted. I, thought, I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> actually wanted a permanent curfew yeah. after 10 o'clock. I mean, what has happened to the country I love that people are thinking like this now. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But this is what I mean, you know, because the conditioning that people have now gone through over the course of time, and I fear that it's not so much people like you and I, Nick, who uh, may not go to nightclubs very much, but certainly don't want a bleeding curfew on when we're supposed to get home. Um, you know, it's younger people who I think have sort of become almost immune to what's happened to them. And they've not realised that yeah. all of these, uh, you know, liberties have been taken away and they don't mind it somehow because that's what they make. It makes them feel safe somehow. I just I find it incredible. It, it is the feeling safe, which um, frankly uh, has lost all proportionality. Uh, and, and the statistics are overwhelming, you know, particularly when you've been with successful as we have with the vaccine, the statistics on death on, you know, even serious conditions mm. are so low that we have now frightened a generation. My whole argument has been in the early days, none of us really knew what was happening. You know, for my sins, I supported all the early measures. I supported the lockdown. We were dealing with the unknown. Mm. The January to July lockdown, as I call it, I think was a huge mistake. And we now have a generation of people being brought up that frankly welcome the huge intrusion of the nanny state of state control yeah. in the micro details of their life. So much so they won't even get on a train unless the government tells them to. They won't go into a city unless mm. the government tells them to. Uh, I, as I say, what has happened to the freedom loving country I love? I, I don't know. honestly know. I know. Very, very good question. Nick, you'll be here with us Saturday 7 to 10, Sunday 8 to 10. You've mentioned a couple of things you're going to do. What else is uh, coming up this weekend? Well, um, we're, we're, we're obviously be taking a look at the, the week ahead, which is always difficult, uh, admittedly, in the, uh, in the summer. But at that time, we will all be reeling from the latest announcements, which we expect on Thursday night from government, about what it means for our freedoms in terms of travelling. We will be keeping a close eye, by the way, don't lose track of what is happening with COVID passports. Mm. There was even a call by one MP 
um, for a recall of Parliament before anything was 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 decided. And Mike, I have to tell you, and you very generously have, have uh, mentioned this and uh, are reading an advanced copy of my uh, novel, which I'm sure we'll be talking about at some other time, which of course plays to the entire worst side of politicians, and it is um, mostly fantasy. Watch in the summer, <laughs> I always point to this, watch for people on manoeuvres in the summer with political games and political manoeuvring. We could have an interesting summer, particularly when um, Boris and Carrie go off on holiday. Mm. Let's watch who's in charge and what's happening then, shall yes. we? Yes, that will be very interesting indeed. Nick Dubois, as ever, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, he's back with us here on Saturday at 7pm, Sunday at 8pm. Don't miss it. It's a great show at the weekends. Of course, we do lots of great things here uh, at Talk Radio on the weekends. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, uh, you'll have woken up to a story this morning which is quite shocking in and of itself. It is, of course, um, the head of a Belarus exiles group uh, called Vitaly Shishov, who's been found dead in Ukraine this morning. He was reported missing a couple of days ago. This comes on top of the story uh, that comes out of Tokyo at the moment of one of the uh, Belarusian um, athletes who's been basically sought, uh, forced to seek refuge in an embassy in Tokyo because she feared that she was going to be returned home by force because she's been critical of some of the management and some of the uh, training that she's been put through uh, by the Belarusian team officials. Let's talk now to Isabel Sorkins, research fellow at the Henry Jackson Society, because the thing that surprises me about Belarus and whenever something like this happens is how little people seem to care about what is going on in a country that is ostensibly in Europe. Isabel, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much for having me. Not at all. This is a shocking uh, development. I mean, even by the standards of, of the Belarusian government uh, to have uh, themselves linked to the possible killing. And that's not been confirmed yet, obviously, that nobody's really sure what happened. Um, but it looks very dark and it looks very troubling, it would seem to me, for, for anyone who supports liberty and freedom. Absolutely. As you said, there are questions about whether the Lukashenko regime is responsible for this assassination. But what we are seeing is that if this is the case, the Lukashenko regime is willing to assassinate people on other territories. As you said, we have Neptim um, Manovskaya, who is um, a Belarusian Olympic athlete, who has sought a humanitarian visa from Poland. We have the Belarusian opposition leader, Tsihanovskaya, who lives um, now in Vilnius. But it seems to be the case that this isn't stopping the Lukashenko regime from basically targeting these people who are dedicated to fighting for a free and democratic Belarus. Yeah. And as far as you know, what is the story behind what's happening now in Tokyo um, with the with the athlete who doesn't effectively now want to return to Belarus? Yeah. So from what I understand, um, she was put into a race that she was not prepared for. She put up a tweet saying that that she did sort of disapproved of this management decision. This then led to a conversation that happened between her and, um, and, and an official basically, in which she was asked to return home to Belarus. She then sought counsel, um, and I believe both Poland and the Czech Republic um, offered to sort of host her in their embassies. Her husband, who was based in Belarus, has also fled to Kiev. Um, so it is now just a situation of trying to get her from Tokyo back to Poland. But it's interesting that a conversation that was originally about sport has now um, transgressed into one about politics. Right. And of course, um, there were lots of noises being made of people trying to take her sort of by force to the airport. I mean, who would those yes. people have been? Would they have been associated with the Olympic team? Uh, or are there other people from Belarus there who are kind of overseeing the athletes? 
It's not known at the moment who uh, these individuals were. It very well could have been uh, Belarusians with the Olympic team. We do not know whether there were state officials there. Um, I know that Lukashenko is not at the Olympics, um, but we don't know who exactly these individuals would have been for now. Mm, exactly right. And what is it about, what is it about the way that um, the, the Belarusian um, government operates, which actually means... Um, and there's somebody's phone ringing now. I'm not sure if that's ours or theirs. Um, sorry, Isabel, bear with us for a moment. If you're still there, the question I've got for you is how is it uh, possible that the Belarusian um, government can seemingly operate with impunity, not only in its own country, but in other countries as well, um, without seemingly much diplomatic kind of furore? Yeah, pushback. Well, you're asking the right questions here, Mike. Why is the UK government not intervening on complete acts of injustice such as this? We've had it time and time again since August 2020 that the Belarus, well, the Lukashenko regime has attacked people, but it's been predominantly on its own territory. So, of course, we had um, the case back in May where a Ryanair flight was downed, which had a Belarusian dissident, mm. Bratasievich, on it, and he was held there. But as you said, now we are moving to other countries abroad. We are having it that people are having to seek refuge in Poland, in Lithuania and Ukraine. And yet no one is intervening when these people are attacked on foreign territory. We need to be doing something about this because otherwise these assassinations are going to keep happening and the people who are fighting for a free and democratic Belarus are not going to live to see that happen. And what is the current status of the government in Belarus? Because obviously we know that there is a large and, and growing sort of um, uh, organisation of, of, of people who are against the way that uh, Lukashenko operates and, and who have absolutely turned on him ever since he ignored the last election result. Um, I mean, presumably at some point that's gonna, there's going to be another conflagration there. Yeah, so as you said, since August last year, there have been mass protests uh, which have been happening in Belarus and then, of course, spread to other parts of the world where there is a Belarusian diaspora. But unfortunately, these riots, as they were termed by the police, have been really, really heavily suppressed. So we saw lots of protesters ending up in jail, subject to what we can only really term as torture. And this is the type of thing. So it's the suppression of any sort of protest against what is considered to be rigged elections. So there are still people who are fighting for this in Belarus, but actually we're seeing people start to move abroad to try and do these actions because it, it seems to them to be safer to do so. But unfortunately, uh, this recent news about Shishov is making uh, people question whether that is the case. Mm. And I've heard before that there's a fair amount of, shall we say, um, blind eyes being turned by from from the likes of, of the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin because um, they, they, they're not unhappy uh, that this situation goes on. Yeah, the situation between Russia and Belarus is a very interesting one. Of course, it's often considered to be one of Putin's allies um, in Eastern Europe. There was a little bit of sort of tension over recent years, but there has been very little really coming out from Putin about what we're seeing happening in Belarus. He often supports Lukashenko. Um, I imagine that it's the case that he would want Lukashenko to stay in power so that he has a friend in this uh, sphere of interest for himself. But there has been very little really coming out about that. Mm. And what would you expect will be the next thing that we hear? Because Ukraine police have sort of more or less um, laid out their theories, if you like, that this could Absolutely. be something which was either orchestrated by Belarus, uh, mm -hmm. made, made to look like a suicide, or indeed, uh, in fact, just a straight out state killing. 
Yeah, I imagine this is going to come out as a state killing. I really would not be surprised at all, because as we said, we've seen this progression from persecution on Belarusian territories. It would not surprise me at all if it was um, to be sort of found out that Belarusian state operatives had committed this on Ukrainian territory. If that is the case, the Ukrainian state and places like the UK need to be having a really, really serious conversation about how basically Belarus is punished for this. Is this sanctions that we that we introduce? What can we be doing here to stop these gross, gross acts of mm. injustice happening on European territory? We need to intervene if this is found to be the case that the right. Lukashenko regime is responsible. And what about the European Union's take on all of this? Because, of course, we know that um, the EU was very much um, a player, if you like, in, in the whole Ukraine problem because uh, Angela Merkel reached out to Ukraine and said, why don't you come and join yeah. the European Union, at which point yeah. Crimea blew up, at which point yeah. all sorts of things happened. I mean, are they just washing their hands of it all now? Yeah, they're staying very quiet. Um, right. <laughs> how how marvellous. The EU is uh, being very quiet about those things. It's a, it's a very um, difficult situation for them to navigate, which I appreciate. But at the same time, you need the backing of someone like the EU in order to intervene on these gross acts of injustice. Um, so it remains to be seen how they are going to come out and um, sort of reprimand what we have been seeing yeah. uh, in the previous days in yes. Kiev. Well, it certainly is a terrible situation for everybody in Belarus and, and obviously for those people Absolutely. from Belarus who have gone to other, other countries. Isabel, thank you very much indeed for your time. Isabel Sorkins, their research fellow at the Henry Jackson Society. It does surprise me, it has to be said, that so the EU uh, are so quiet about this kind of thing. You know, this is precisely what the European Union is supposed to be about, isn't it? About protecting the lives of people uh, within the European Union and within the surrounding countries of the European Union. And if the European Union seeks to be some kind of uh, overarching kind of moralistic um, preacher to the rest of the world, and particularly to this country, what the hell are they not doing about Belarus? And why are they not getting involved? I'm not expecting Britain to go and save people's lives in Belarus, but I think certainly Britain uh, should be robust because you know what might happen. And it might be that the next time somebody gets assassinated by the Belarusian uh, government, that they, are ha they happen to be walking the streets of this country. Because don't make any mistake, that could happen. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's say a very good morning to Sean Tipton, spokesperson for the Association of British Travel Agents. Sean, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Is it right, do you think? Have I got the, uh, the, the feeling correct that there's a bit of a light at the end of whatever tunnel we happen to be in, that there might be a bit of common sense seeping into government travel policy? Well, we'd hope so, Mike, wouldn't we, really? We the would. thing is, though, we, we tend to be apt to pretty cautious. and We wait until we see an official statement. Mm. So that's coming up on Thursday by the looks of it. So occasionally they've uh, released that a day early, but anyway, Thursday is more likely. So, yeah, we've been saying for quite some time now, if you look at the situation around the world, and in Europe in particular, which is where we take most of our foreign holidays, mm. um, their vaccination programmes, they started off more slowly than we did. That's true. The NHS was did a mass, massively brilliant job there. But they've been catching up, in some cases, overtaking us now. So if the whole point about being vaccinated was allow us to get some kind of freedom and get back to some form of normality, that obviously has got to apply to overseas travel. Now, within the EU, <clears throat> I know we've left now, obviously, but if, um, if you're an EU citizen, if you being double vaccinated you can travel without restrictions it's as simple as that and that makes it very straightforward and, and actually people are doing taking advantage of that they're going on holiday i've just come back from spain and uh, there are a lot of germans if i can put it that way on the beaches so uh, it was quieter than normal but mm. that, but they are going on holiday and there weren't as anywhere near as many brits to fly i was on i said it's about a fifth full that was it because of all the restrictions in place and in particular the cost of the test i think that's a major barrier to people particularly if you're a family i mean it's cost an absolute fortune yes so those those tests need to come down in price they really do well this is it and i wanted to ask you about this piece i saw yesterday in the times newspaper in which it said that uh, you know britain was going to clamp down on some of the ridiculous pricing because in lots of other countries it's nowhere near as expensive and where our um, yeah. entertainment uh, editor actually johnny seafoot went out to um, lanzarote with tui yeah. and they've got a scheme whereby you know it's only 20 quid for the test that you have to get rather than sort of 200 or 300 quid yeah. which some people have been paying I think I think the thing is, yeah, it's the sheer scale of it, and there are so many different country companies involved, and you have to go to ones that the, the government has put on a list. So some of them are charging ridiculous amounts of money. You're quite right, and also some of the tests aren't coming back in time either. No. Now I'm glad you mentioned Tui there, because quite a few travel companies have thought enough is enough, and they've gone and done deals with reputable companies who've said that we'll get the test back in time, and they've actually, I think, to a certain extent, they're subsidising it as well to mm. keep the cost down for customers. So that's yeah. helping. But if you go, to, if you're, if I was French, I'd get these tests for nothing on their version of the NHS. Right. And you can get COVID tests for nothing on our NHS, but you're just not allowed to use them well, to go on holidays. I mean, so. if you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if I said, for example, oh, I think I might have uh, symptoms of COVID, I can get a free test. But if I say, oh, I've got to go to Spain and when I come back, I've got to get another test when I come back, it's not free. No, it's not. I, mean, I remember a situation like a few months ago where there was a load of NHS nurses who were going on holiday and they were, they were refused boarding mm. because they, they were being tested at work, PCR tests as well, but they weren't acceptable because they weren't private tests. And I thought, what's the logic in that? That's yeah. just, it's just silly. So the other side to this as well, if you, if you look at other countries, I've mentioned Europe already, if you've been double vaccinated, you don't need any tests at all. We're still now, we still need a test. I mean, a PCR test on return, and I'm, you know, they're, they're not cheap. If, you, if you're lucky and you, you've gone through a travel company has got you a subsidised deal, fair enough, but they can be anything up to mm. £200, which is really eye-watering isn't it and is there any need because bluntly if you've been tested when you leave the country because you have to get a negative test 
to get on board the plane in the first place. Mm. What, what, what difference is it going to make two days later? I know. You know, it's especially bizarre, if you've been it? double vaccinated. And yeah. another problem that I spotted um, earlier yeah. this uh, this uh, week as well is that some people have problems with their maiden name and their married name. Now, for example, you know, their passport might still be yeah. in their maiden name because they haven't got around to changing it, but all of their documentation about the vaccine uh, is not in their maiden name, it's in their married name, and the two don't go together and they can't yeah. get on a plane. No, that's that's right. I mean, that's a general, that's a problem we've seen in the past. When my sister, <laughs> she a few years ago did was travelling on her maiden name passport, so that's going to cause you a few problems. You need to get that changed quickly. But yeah, that those kind of issues are coming up as well. Um, the other thing that you know, there was talk about massive queues at airports up to six hours. Well, mm. luckily the government saw sense on that because actually, to get on board the plane, you have to have the right documentation. And who checks that? It's the check-in staff. So that, that is checked before you get on the plane. So there's no need then when you get to the UK for that to be double checked again. And the airlines are very careful about that because they can be fined considerably if they let somebody on board a plane who hasn't got the right documentation. So they're very much there on the side of caution. But that, that was there was talk at some stage of border control in the UK checking that documentation again. Mm. And we thought that's just not going to work. It'd be an absolute nightmare. But as it stands, you can use the, you know, because it's being checked already by the airline, You'll be able to use the e-gates. Yes. And that's, I, I think, think the really problem comes, Sean, when, when, depending on where you're going into. Again, Johnny Seifert got in last He didn't say which airport he came into with Tui, but he said it was absolutely fine. It was very quiet. Um, it was a Sunday night, I think, so there wasn't much going on. But apparently there was a breakdown at Heathrow on Sunday, uh, which meant that all passengers were rejected by the e-gates and had to be uh, admitted manually by the immigration officers. And I think it's a sort of a Heathrow-specific problem where their system fails and then suddenly they haven't got enough people because it's a Sunday, yeah. you know, and all of that. And then the knock-on effect yeah. was that apparently there was a queue yeah. a quarter of a mile long to get back in. That's not good, Mike. But I think, to be fair, I mean, if we were talking a normal year, we, we, we often have a situation with chaos at airports for technical problems that occur. It's, it can be, it's very, very unfortunate if you're caught up with it. But, but I think the main thing we've always said, and that's, that's even more true now, is that border force need to have the sufficient resources to make sure that they have enough people there at, and also target them. You know, you will get times, of, there might be times when you get a number of aircraft coming in, in one, at one time. So you need to have the staff in place to be able to deal with that. But um, but I said, but the fact we can use the e-gates, that was a real worry for us. If yeah. they thought, no, they got to be manual checks. Well, that's not the case. So that really helps. Yeah, of course. The other story I've seen today is that some European hotels are rejecting reservations yeah. being made by British people because they worry that they're going to cancel them, which, again, is through no fault of our own. It's the government's kind of hesitancy and the government's ineptitude, I would say, uh, that's created this problem. Well, it's, it's not a surprise, is it, really? I mean, if I was a Spanish hotelier who's been through some pretty tough times that now suddenly they're starting to get business coming through, who, you know, if you, know, if you can guarantee that the Germans, again, are going to arrive and the Brits might not, who are you going to sell the rooms to? It's mm. just common sense, isn't it, really? And that's causing problems for tour operators as well because they're, 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 they're being told the same thing. Can you 100% guarantee these people are going to turn up? And they can't. Mm. So that's why we need to you know, get to a situation whereby... <clears throat> you know, we can travel in the same way as the rest of Europe. We've, we've seen that great news now that people come to the USA don't have to self-isolate an arrival. Well, that's great news as well. Mm. But also, do we need to have these PCR tests? Or, well, if you've already been double vaccinated, you've, been, you've had a test before you leave the country as well, which has to be negative, or else you're not getting on board the plane. Um, you know, I think we're overdoing things a bit, really, aren't we? And, um, well, you know, I think so. Is it necessary and it's so expensive? Yeah. yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's an awful lot of people making a hell of a lot of money out of all of this, by the way. Um, because I quite often get asked the question, Sean, you know, will this be the way travel is for the rest of time? And I know you don't like making predictions, but I mean, surely at some point somebody says, we don't need to keep doing this. 
No, of course not. I, I mean, I, I hate that expression, the new normal. I, I've yeah, been called it the, the, the current abnormal. It. But it's not, is it? It's the current abnormal. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had the Spanish flu back in the 1920s, and well, just before, after the First World War. Mm. I don't think we worry about that too much, do we, anymore? So, um, but seriously, yes. Yeah, so I don't know. We can't continue like this forever. We really can't. And also, it's, it's just it's an, it's, it's, it's just an overreaction. Mm. Obviously, during the course of a pandemic, I couldn't agree more. If we ignored that, that would have been incredibly irresponsible. But we didn't. And now we're going through it with vaccination programs and also people having, you know, some antibodies in their system if they've been unfortunate to catch it. Well, we've got to get back to some form of normality. And if you look at other countries which have opened up much more so, I mean, yeah, their, their infection rates might be going up, which you would expect, I suppose, if you've got more people travelling. But mm. it's about how many people actually end up in hospital. Yes. The numbers are pretty small. They really are. And also, you know, we've never really had, you know, zero coming and going out of airports in this country. You know, we've constantly had thousands and thousands of people coming through airports yeah. in Britain um, all through the pandemic. Even when we had the first lockdown, people were still flying in and out of the country. And if you've yeah. got enough money to do so, obviously, that's not a problem either. You can hop on a private jet and go anywhere you like. Exactly. And those people, they weren't actually, they weren't people going on holiday. I remember there's a lot of talk about irresponsible holidaymakers. Mm. And I thought, well, who are these? They're not holidaymakers. They're people doing business trips. And a lot of business trips were going ahead and people going to visit friends and family as well. But, <clears throat> but there, there is a major issue that you've just pinpointed there, Mike, which is that if we're moving forward, um, the travel industry is still in a really dark place. It really is. We, you know, business has gone up a little bit, but it's still only, I saw the airlines saying that they're, their bookings are at 16% of what they would mm. expect in an 16%. And that's almost a 90% drop in business. So yeah. That's not sustainable. It really isn't. And you, I think the, the only reason why there haven't been a massive number of companies failing is because they've really, they've slashed numbers of staff. They put the remainder on furlough and that, but they're really mm. hanging on by their, you know, like this. It's not good. Yes. And that means that's not good for consumers because if you do have lots of travel companies failing, once we do get out of this and back to normal, well, who are you going to fly with well, exactly. if, there, if there's no airlines that And also, how expensive is it going to be? I mean, I'm, I'm sort of hoping, on the one hand, that I can get to New York fairly soon to go and see yeah. my family. Um, but I'm equally dreading what prices they're going to put on it, because I'd be amazed if it's uh, the same price as it was the last time. Well, I, I think it's two things there, Mike. I mean, if you're an airline and you've been making no money at all, suddenly you get a big surge in demand, what are you going to do? You're going to put your prices yeah. up. So I think it's not going to be cheap. You're quite right. But also, the other thing that keeps prices down in the industry is competition. Mm. I mean, that's because there are currently so many travel companies all after your business. But if they if those numbers shrink drastically, then, you know, it creates a kind of a cartel, doesn't it? And again, mm. why would you put your prices down if you don't need to? Well, exactly So that right. can make it more expensive and for everybody. And that is the thing, isn't it? I mean, I'm like you. I'm surprised that so few people have actually gone under. I'm amazed that the that, that travel companies have been able to sort of keep their heads above the water at all. Is it because they're borrowing money? Did they have yeah. reserves that they're, that they're using up? <laughs> I, well, it's a combination number of different things. I mean, um, I was speaking to one of our members who's uh, she's an independent travel agent. Mm. And she said she hasn't made any money at all for two years. She's living off her savings. Another one I spoke to is absolutely desperate, but she's she's taken out quite big loans, mm. which she's uh, on the basis that she was saying things would improve, which they well they got a little bit better, but mm. not drastically so. So I think that that's a pretty bleak picture out there. So we have said to the government repeatedly, you need to give some money, targeted assistance to the travel industry and they keep on going about well we gave seven billion pounds to the airline industry well that's just one part of the industry yes. it's not the entire industry and for my section which is travel agents and tour operators um we've had very little in fact we've had actually more support from uh local government than we've had from the central government mm. because and, and one particular thing i remember when they were giving restart grants 
travel agents were entitled to £2,000, which was the lowest restart grant. And hairdressers next door were getting, you know, I think six or seven times that when mm. they were actually doing really good business yeah. because people rushing out to get their hair cut, right. whereas the travel agents weren't. So that, that's something they need to really address because quite apart from obviously I represent these, represent these companies, but they, they do provide a service and there's also hundreds of thousands of jobs at risk. So we, what we don't want to have is a situation later on this year or next year when people are hopefully being able to travel in a more you know, realistic fashion because they've been double vaccinated, um, that they, there, are, you know, there are travel companies in a position to take them on holiday. And also hotels in Spain will be much more confident about the fact that British people will be turning up. So they'll be happy to sell rooms right. to them and to the tour operators who take them on holiday as well. And the other problem, of course, that we need to fix in this country is the tourism incoming uh, because yeah, so much tourism um, is required to keep the economy of this country going that I actually was quite pleased to see a lot more tourists out and about the other day um, when I was going through sort of central London around about Parliament Square and stuff. A lot more people seemed to be around who were clearly sightseeing, uh, which, which was encouraging. But an awful lot of hotels, I'm amazed, haven't gone under as well because I'm told a lot of the central London hotels are looking at a sort of occupancy rate at the moment of about 10%. Well, you know, I'm a Londoner as well, and I, I've been, you know, going to the West End the last few years. It's just chock a block full of foreign tourists. Yeah. So, so they and who's so he's keeping who's keeping the pubs and restaurants going, who's keeping the West End theatres going, who's keeping the, just the normal retail shops as well. Mm. It's it's mostly foreigners, bluntly. Yeah. So and also, I, I saw Visit Britain put out some stats uh, earlier on this year, saying that per capita, a foreign tourist spends three times as much as a domestic holidaymaker. Mm. So so they are really essential to the economy of the, you know, not just hotels, but that number of different sectors as well. So they need to come back. And I'm, I was having a chat with a Scottish taxi driver as well, not so long ago. And I said, well, how's it been? And he said, well, business is slightly to, to begin to pick up. But what we really want is the Americans to come back. Mm. He said, because they spend an absolute fortune yeah. going on golf trips and staying in high-end well, hotels exactly, and they yeah. get cabs everywhere. Well, so. the whole of Scotland is, is full of, of American businessmen playing golf. Yeah. I mean, that's all you see. Exactly. I used to see them when I used to go to Turnberry. You used to see this helicopter arriving and it turned out they'd have played at Carnoustie in the morning, got in a helicopter and flown to Turnberry to play in the afternoon. And God knows how much money they're then spending, you know, at, at dinner in the evening. Well, precisely a bit, you know, a bit more than a, somebody travelling up from London for a few days yes. like I did. So I know they all spend considerably more. So they are very important. And also you need to make it sure, you know, just it's good that they can now come over, but they still have to do what they might regard as why am I having to do a PCR test? What's, what's the point? Why yeah. do I need to do that? So those kind of things <clears throat> will, you know, simply it's just a barrier in the way of travel. Yeah. And it, people might think twice about doing that if they have to do that. And then they'll worry about what if it's positive. So mm. it's all these kind of things. So we need those. Uh, it really is. Travel industry is all about confidence. I'm sure you see a lot of the travel companies using this tra uh, strap line now, book with confidence. Yeah. But it, it's, it's important because people need to know that their holiday is not going to just collapse at the last minute due to some arbitrary right. change in government restrictions. And hopefully the change in this app uh, will will make a difference as well in terms of uh, people getting pinged. As Julie Hartley Brewer, you, I think I might mention to you yeah. last time we spoke, was pinged, you know, like literally a week after she got off a flight um, and was told she had to self-isolate for another four days, even though the previous, you know, sort of six days didn't count because she was already out and about. I mean, it's kind of mad. But just yeah. finally, Sean, um, are you optimistic then about what you're going to see on Thursday? Well, a little bit more than we would have done. But the problem is this the problem is for us, Mike, is there's so much speculation about what might happen and what might not happen. We'll wait and see, really. Yeah. But if, if the government is really serious about saying that we're going to have a benefit of the vaccination programme, and that's not just here, it's overseas as well. I mean, yeah. the Spanish are kind of scratching their heads about why, you know, why these restrictions are in place in the first place then. 
yeah, that, that should say, logically, that we should see more countries going on the green list and less talk about sudden arbitrary changes, which actually don't seem to make a great deal of sense, which can make, make it very difficult for people to actually book a holiday thinking that I will be able to go. And mm. one thing I would, last, last thing I would say, though, <clears throat> is that foreign holidays at the moment are very good value for money. When we talk about your flights to America going up, but I would say, <clears throat> but if you're talking about a holiday to Europe, then they're actually very good value mm. and they're certainly a lot cheaper than having two weeks in Devon. Yes, I think that's right. Sean, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Sean Tipton, spokesperson for the Association of British Travel Agents. What are you hearing? Uh, what are you being told? A lot of people having problems getting anywhere. Uh, those people who say, oh, why do you have to go on holiday? Well, there's a lot of good reasons for why people want to go on holiday. Many of them are about they're just their own mental health. Many of them are about just doing uh, some quality time with the kids when you're all together rather than somebody working every day and only seeing them in the evenings. There's all sorts of reasons. Visiting uh, relatives, visiting friends, going to weddings, going to all sorts of parties. You know, it's called life, people. That's what it's about. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Stuart Roberts, Deputy President of the National Farmers Union. Stuart, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I know that a lot of people don't think very often of the countryside when they think of crime. They think of inner cities. They think of people's houses being robbed. They think of, you know, street crime, people on scooters, nicking phones, that kind of thing. But apparently it's quite a big problem now in rural communities, particularly in farms, who have got a lot of very expensive stuff knocking around. Yeah, absolutely. And and rural crime continues to be a, a huge issue for, for farmers and, and the impacts are enormous. You touched earlier about uh, GPS equipment where we're hopefully if we get some sunshine today, we're in the middle of harvest. Some of this equipment is absolutely integral to us bringing in that harvest. Uh, and, and also it can't be easily replaced. Lots of this you can't just get off the shelves. And uh, we really do need to see rural crime being taken uh, as seriously as crime in, in any other part of the community. Yes, exactly right. And why do you think it is that suddenly this is coming to the fore? You know, what is it that's causing it? I don't think it's uh, it's particularly a new issue, actually, Mike. I think rural crime's been an issue for for a long time. I think sometimes it may not have been as as visible because it, it happens in isolated areas. It happens outside of those. Uh, urban areas you t uh, touch on, um, but it's absolutely vital that that we have the resources uh, in place wherever we are in the country. This is this is not about uh, uh, inner cities versus rural areas. This is about all of us having the resources we need to tackle uh, crime, which not only has. Uh, if you like, the financial impacts that, that are, are obvious, but also has big emotional tolls, particularly for those who live uh, in pretty isolated or, or lonely areas. Well, exactly right. And I mean, I know plenty of people and visit plenty of people that live in various different parts of, of Britain. You know, there's there's some very rural parts of Sussex, Norfolk, Suffolk. You know, you don't have to be going out to the sort of wilds of, of Shropshire to find areas where you don't really see very many police cars in evidence drive, driving around. No, and, and look, I farm, uh, I'm out in the countryside and I'm, what, 24 miles from Marble Arch here in uh, here in Hertfordshire. Oh, yeah. And, and Can you see the mound we, from there? 
I can't quite. It depends. <laughs> if I go to the top of the hill, I can see the shard. But, oh, good. Uh, okay. But, but but you're absolutely right. And and unfortunately, look, I think there's a challenge about the level of police resourcing wherever we are in the country. Mm. Um, but it, it does certainly seem to be uh, an issue in, in rural areas. But it's not just policing. It's also about... How do we coordinate uh, responsibilities between central government, local authorities? When it comes to things like fly tipping, you've got a number of authorities. That's not just the policing. That's also the environment agency, as I say, local authorities. We've got to start to see better coordination as well as better resourcing. And as far as some of the stuff that's disappearing, a lot of it's connected to GPS, which obviously is very important now in in the farming business. But where is it ending up? Is it going abroad? Is it being resold back to farmers who might be buying it with a nod and a wink off a guy from the off, fell off the back of a lorry? Uh, certainly, from what uh, what I pick up and what I hear, uh, lots and lots of it. The vast, vast majority is going straight abroad. Mm. Um, and some people, yeah, it could well be. Uh, on the other side of the channel before the end of the day that it was it was stolen um, it has very specific purposes uh, therefore there's only sort of certain markets it can be used in um, but certainly we're picking up lots and lots of it is moving abroad very very quickly and, and look farmers are taking more responsibility you know we are securing that equipment uh, better than it has been in the past I believe um, but equally you know the the uh, the efforts that some of these criminals are going to, you know, you touched earlier about uh, e-scooters. Yeah. You know, that just shows me the, the length some of these people are prepared to go to. Yes, I know, because he's not, you wouldn't have thought, I mean, I once saw a guy on an e-scooter somewhere near um, Sevenoaks in Kent, and I thought, that's a bit of a weird place to be on an e-scooter. Um, but because you don't think, you don't think of them as anything other than urban vehicles, really. I mean, I can't imagine why people would use them in the countryside um, unless they are trying to not be spotted or something. Well, I think there's a there's a number of things people are using. And, and look, in some areas of the countryside, I think e-scooters would be pretty difficult to use. But certainly in areas that are, are on the urban fringe, like where I farm, mm. um, absolutely they can be used. But we're also seeing people, uh, you know, lots and lots of, of pedal bikes as well. We're seeing more people out in the countryside, which is fantastic. You know, we want to see people out enjoying the countryside. But because there's more people out, uh, there's more people with an eye on what's about. Uh, and I'm Unfortunately, a minority of them uh, know what they're looking for and come back for it later on in the day. Mm. Yes. I mean, the other problem you might have, I suppose, is that if this stuff is so expensive and it is so um, easy to resell on, there might even be people ordering it. You know, I mean, oh. I remember back in the back in the good old days when I used to work in New York, a guy robbed my office uh, three consecutive nights in a row. And it turned out he was down in a local snooker hall asking people what they wanted. He said, I'll get your fax machine. I can get you a PC. I can get you this, that and the other. Um, and he was actually literally robbing me to order. Well, certainly some of this equipment, I suspect, we do hear rumours that it is being stolen to order. You know, if you've got a, uh, a a piece of machinery somewhere else in the world that needs a particular type of GPS receiver, um, then then it may well be that it's being stolen. This isn't the sort of kit that that you steal and then sell in the back of a, a out the back of the boot of your car, because mm. actually there, there aren't people who want it, uh, if you like, in the in the normal population. But unfortunately, we have got. 
uh, a, a group of criminals uh, who have identified this kit and have unfortunately found a way to um, mm. to sell it on and, and make a living off the back of it. Yes. So, I mean, what have you been able to advise people to do, your members, of course, who are, you know, in the firing line here? What have you been able to tell them that they should try to do to minimise the, the risk of, of losing something? Well, look, the first thing we've got to do is take responsibility ourselves for securing that equipment. And we're certainly seeing that, uh, you know, much of it is detachable off off machines, in which case lock it away at night. Mm. Uh, and, and farmers are doing much, much more of that. And in fact, thefts overall this year on farms have gone down, which mm. is a good thing. Um, but we're also uh, encouraging people to be more vigilant themselves, but also include encouraging other people to be vigilant. You know, as I said earlier, we've got more people out in the countryside. That's a good thing. So actually, if you're out in the countryside and you see something a bit unusual, if you see if you see that e-scooter on a footpath mm. that really you'd never seen one before, just ask a few questions. Keep your eyes open. Um, but then also, we do need to address that that fundamental issue about investigating the crime prosecuting the crime and making sure the penalties when when we eventually do catch some of these people um do uh you know they're the same weight as the offense it's not just a slap on the wrist mm. um unfortunately with with rural crime too often it's seen as being carried out by some sort of clawed green grass countryside rogue when right. actually it is it's accompanied often with lots of intimidation uh, organized crime and it needs to be treated extremely seriously well that's right i mean we've heard haven't we about county lines crime which is reaching into you know lots of rural communities around the country where smaller towns and maybe even villages have become sort of hotbeds of drug activity um boris johnson's recent sort of crime bill was saying that they were going to try and put a sort of ring of steel around some of those communities, which presumably would help you guys as well. Well, I think the, the thing that, that uh, for me is the, the, the worst bit of all of this is the intimidation often that mm. goes. Well, I, I think of, of hair coursing and fly tipping, two of the, the really big crimes we face. And actually, it is the intimidation that goes along with it. These are, are not nice people. Mm. And lots of the time, it's organised crime. Um, and absolutely, we need to be seen to be taking that uh, extremely seriously. Yes, I think so. Because a lot of people in, 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 uh, in this show tell me when they call up and i've got already a few callers wanting to get on to tell me their stories of having dealt with the police and in in certainly in the cities a lot of the time if you get your house burgled they don't even come around i mean and again again boris johnson's hoping that the the, the the new bill will make it possible for individual police officers to be attached to stories and to be attached to to, to crime claims so that you can actually see somebody and have a named person in charge of your investigation i mean is the is the is the rural problem the same that you can call the cops but they don't really come out well, I think, first of all, I think we need to be careful. And, and you made a, a really important point in your introduction, Mike, about this isn't about individual police officers. No. What the work some of them do is is absolutely outstanding. And they put themselves in some very difficult they positions. Do. But, but unfortunately, I suspect at times they don't have the level of resource. You know, it is about making sure we've got the right number of policemen. They've got the right uh, intelligence infrastructure. They've got the right systems behind them to allow them to do their job uh, and do the job that, that both people in urban areas and rural areas expect them to do in terms of protecting us and protecting mm. our property. Yes, I think that's the, the very least you can expect, isn't it? And, and of course, because of the way that crime does change, they do have to kind of somehow re, sort of repurpose themselves in some ways. But I mean, would you say overall there's enough police in the countryside? 
No, no, there isn't. We need to see uh, we need to see uh, a, a leveling up. If I look at you know, you touch on on urban policing, there not being enough. There is less uh, per head of population in rural areas than there is in urban areas. We need to see that leveled up. But arguably, we need to see policing across the board, um, given the priority that that, that we all deserve. Mm. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Well, Stuart, let's hope that uh, that, that you don't become a victim of the ghastly individuals. What do you, uh, well, I'm not. I'm, I shouldn't really ask you what do you do to stop them from robbing you because you don't want to tell me. But I mean, I presume you've had to take more precautions yourself yeah we we have and we've got lots of security measures on the farm here i won't tell you them all mike but we've certainly got cctv we've got locks we've got Mm. uh security gates um and and unfortunately you know those are things we've had to put in place um but equally um the countryside is still open and it's great to see many people enjoying it particularly after the last 18 months Mm. that we've all uh, had to endure no, absolutely great. Well, listen, nice to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Good luck uh, with uh, catching anyone that tries to rob from you. Stuart Roberts, there, Deputy President of the National Farmers Union. According to NFU Mutual, right, the cost of replacing the stolen equipment that forms essential parts uh, of modern farming has nearly doubled in a year to nearly £3 million. So this is not a small business that's being run here. And like an awful lot of things that happen in this country, it's organised. It's not, uh, as you just heard from Stuart there, you know, some rather roguish character in a tweed jacket uh, who's sneaking onto the property late at night like something um, out of Midsummer Murders and stealing all the equipment. No, these are organised criminals who move the equipment that they're stealing out of the country faster than you can say, you know, combine harvester, and suddenly it's being sold to somebody uh, in Eastern Europe or in another part of Europe or in Southern Mediterranean Europe or in Northern Europe. You just don't know. But what you do know, I'm pretty sure you would know, is it's being stolen to order because that is what goes on uh, in this day and age. And so therefore the police need to be more aware of what it is that they're actually fighting. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.